Hey, so glad that you're here with us this morning. I'm Pastor Chris, and we're continuing our series on Love Does. A couple of weeks ago, we started with Love Does Forgiveness, and last week we discussed Love Does Serving, and this week we're talking about Love Does Community. And uh, I know that's a unique topic right now as we're in the midst of a pandemic, and um, but so we're kind of thinking about community and how we're missing out on it. And so this morning, as we think about this idea of community, I want to, and nothing else, I don't want you to feel guilty about the topic, but I want to kind of draw your attention to when this time, this season is over, what will it look like for you to get back in community and that hopefully during this season that you're actually understanding the value and importance of community maybe more than ever before. Before the pandemic forced us to socially or physically distance, many of us were already distancing ourselves anyway. We were using technology and kind of moving away from doing relationships well, and we were spending more time at home and kind of pushing away from stuff. And so although we were connecting via technology, we were losing our sense of community. And because of that, there was an increasing moment, there's increasing numbers of loneliness and anxiety and depression because there's this thing when we look at technology, we see filtered lives, we see Photoshop, Photoshop lives, and we see the selfie that's been taken 50 different times to try to get exactly the right shot at the right angle with the right light. And we try to compare our real lives to those filtered lives. And because of that, it leads to anxiety and depression and this sense of we just don't match up. And because of that, even, it pushes us further and further away from community and seeking deep relationships. As a matter of fact, doctors and scientists are telling us that we're seeing false relationships and false community and false connections through technology and that we're missing out on deep life together. And this is one of the interesting things about this time right now, I think it's drawing our attention to the fact that we crave community, true physical presence community, more than we ever realized before. So in the midst of the uniqueness and the craziness and all the different emotions that we have about this time, I think it's allowed us an opportunity just to kind of pause and to reflect on how important friendships are, how important family is, and how important community really is for us. Because we realize technology is valuable, but it's not a substitute for real relationships. If you've spent some time looking into the life of Jesus, you would recognize the fact that Jesus was a relationship person. He was driven by relationships, and he was driven by a desire to do relationships and to do life with people in community. As a matter of fact, he went out, and one of the first things that he did was he chose 12 guys to do life with. And so they traveled everywhere they went. Jesus was about relationships and about community. If you look at Luke chapter 7, verse 34, you'll see this interesting passage where it tells us that Jesus came eating and drinking. Now, when we think about the Savior, when we think about Jesus, we think about miracles, we think about all the different things that he did, but we don't really consider sometimes the humanity of Jesus and the fact that he was going around and he was eating and drinking and enjoying life and enjoying relationships, enjoying opportunities to be with his friends, and he would consistently accept invitations to have dinner and to have a, a, a party, literally, with some of his friends and people that invite him over. 
We also see that Jesus in John chapter 2 was at a wedding, and the way that he even began his ministry was he turned water into wine. And so again, here he is in the midst of community. He's there with his mom and some extended family, and he's there with his disciples. And as they begin his ministry, he's there with friends and family and celebrating in deep community together. He fed the 5,000. There was multiple times where he fed large crowds, and he was always invited for dinner. Now, that's something that tells me that Jesus was this really cool dude that was the life of the party, and people wanted to get to know him. And so every time that they would have an opportunity, they would invite him over for dinner because he was just a fun guy to do life with. And so this idea of community and relationships was extremely important to Jesus. Not only was it important to Jesus, but it was important to the early church. If you look at Acts chapter 2, which is going to be our passage This morning in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 and following, we see that the church begins to explode. And one of the reasons that the church begins to explode is because they are doing community on a deep level and it's transforming the lives of the individuals and transforming the lives of the people that are going to church together. And other people on the outside are saying, I want friends like that. I want to have life like that. I want to have community like that. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, looking at verse 42 and following, and we'll be able to see um, what community looks like. And so as we read that passage, I want to ask you this question that I want you to this question to just reverberate in your heart, in your mind, in your soul this morning as we talk about this idea of community. And the question is this, does your life look like this? Does your life Look like this. So as we begin, look at Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. It says this, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the first thing that they were doing is they were gathering together and they were listening to teaching and preaching and they were getting that together. And then the very next thing, it says they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and then to fellowship. Now this idea of fellowship is, again, this idea of authentic, deep community together. We get this word koinonia from it because it's a fellowship where people are gathered together around a shared experience, that they have a shared purpose, they have a shared agenda, they have a shared mission. Now we understand that 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 experience, that purpose, that mission, that agenda is Jesus. And so these people are gathering around together And they're hearing teaching from Scripture, and they're talking about how does this Scripture apply to our lives as we follow Jesus. And so they have this this deepening of this relationship together because, one, they come together and their hearts beat for, their, their passion is, their purpose is, their mission is the same. And so they're encouraging one another to grow in their faith and in the things that they're learning. So they get together and they talk about the apostles' teaching. They do koinonia, deep fellowship together. And then they also, something very practical is they share a meal together. And and there's just something about sitting around a dining room table or sitting across from one another during um, having coffee and just beginning to talk and to do life together. And so that was a central component for the early church is that they would gather together in homes and and talk about the sermon that they'd heard and, and, and gather together in fellowship and ask this question of, if this passage is true, if this teaching is true, then how does this impact my life? What will be the things that I do 
in response to that. And then finally, it tells us they would spend time in prayer together. Now, one of the interesting things about prayer is that prayer turns our heart to the problem or turns our heart to invest in what we're investing in, whether it's a problem, whether it's a person. And so the moment and the time that we invest in prayer, it moves us in that direction. And so when we gather together as a community and we begin praying for one another, it begins to move our heart toward that person, whether they need a job or whether their kids are sick or whether they have an illness or whatever the situation may be that they're asking for prayer. As we begin to pray for them, our heart softens and our, our desire is to, to join with them in that situation, that we literally have empathy with them because of prayer. And that's, again, that part of that deepening of fellowship together, that as we do life on a deeper, authentic level, we remove the masks of our life, we take off the costumes and we kind of get rid of our pride and we begin to trust one another with our lives, with our true authentic selves. And so that is the thing about the early church that as people were looking at the early church, they were saying, I want friends like that. I want to have deep, authentic relationships like that, that I can truly know that someone knows me. That when I walk into a room that they know me and, and they don't judge me, but they truly know me and they continue to love me. Look at verse 43. Because in the midst of all of this deep community, there was a deep sense of awe that came over all of them. That there was just something happening in their midst. That where two or three are gathered together, church breaks out. And so these communities, these groups are getting together and, and incredible things are happening in their midst. And so they, they have this awe, this reverence for who God is and what he's doing in their midst. And you can see that miraculous signs and wonders were taking place. Look at the very next verse and it says, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything that they had. Now, this is this idea that on Sundays or whatever day worship may take place is that, that people are gathering together in the same place and they're doing life together. But then there's also this spirit of generosity that we don't just walk by and say hi and say, how are you doing? But that we truly, when we ask that question, how are you doing? We're digging into life with people and that they have needs and we desire as we grow in our generosity, as we grow in our relationship with one another and the deepening, deepening of that koinony of fellowship, we want to share and we want to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. They so much wanted to care for one another. Look at the next thing. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those that are in need. So people, again, are looking and they're saying, hey, listen, this community is so unique that they are so unselfish, that they're so compassionate, that they are so empathetic for one another, that those that have more are willing to part with some of that so that the others who are working hard or just in a difficult season of life and need a hand up and need someone to come alongside of them, they're able to do that so that they don't want anyone in their community to be um, in need. And so that's the beauty of what it means to do fellowship together. Now listen, that takes, that takes work on both sides, doesn't it? It takes us settling in and humbling ourselves and, and, and admitting that we need others, that we need someone else, and that here's a need that I have, and that also for someone else to 
give up maybe something that they cherish and that they've held on to for a variety of different reasons, but now they know of a need from someone and they're willing to, to give that up so that someone else can have what they need. And so there's this beautiful posture of um, someone humbling themselves and then someone else being generous to meet the needs of other people. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a community like that? That's what the early church was called, the movement or the way and that people were watching this early church body love for one another and care for one another and be generous with one another. And people were saying, man, I want that. My question to you again, don't forget, is does your life look like this? Here it is continuing on in this passage. It says, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared meals with great joy and generosity. In other words, they just enjoyed each other. They were good friends. They enjoyed fellowship. I'm sure if they had cell phones, they would have been texting each other or FaceTiming each other and enjoying that. But they didn't. That wasn't in spite of meeting together and being physically present. It was an extension of, or it would be, an extension of their friendship, the deepening of the fellowship that they have for each other. And so the beauty of what it looks like for the church community, for for people that are growing in their faith with Christ to see this deepening of fellowship. All the while, as they're meeting together, they're praising God and enjoying the goodwill of other people. So again, on the outside, people are watching them and saying, wow, look at that community. I want to be a part of that. But here's the interesting thing, the really cool thing, that because of how they care for each other and the way that they do fellowship and the way that they pray for each other and their their meeting together and the transformation of their lives, their individual lives, their family lives, and also just their community lives and the way that they were motivating one another to serve and love and care for each other. Look at this. The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved on a regular basis. The scripture says actually daily. So daily people were moved to become followers of Jesus because of the way that the early church people were following Jesus. Jesus tells us, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And and we think about all these different ways. We get fearful. We have anxiety about sharing our faith. And and that here in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following, we see that, listen, if we just live community in a deep, authentic way, Together, people are going to watch us and see it, and they're going to be drawn to doing life the way that we're doing life. That we don't have to have a magic formula. The magic formula is finding people and doing life on a deep level with them. Again, here's my question. Does your life look like this? Now listen, I don't want this to be something that makes you feel guilty, and you think, wow, no, I don't have this, or I've kind of run away from that. What I want this to be is during a moment and during a unique season that many of us will never see again is that as we're missing out on community, as if we're missing out on physical presence, as we're missing out on relationships and some of the things that we didn't even realize that we held so dearly to us, as some of those things have been pushed pause on, I think this is a great chance for us to just think about and, and have this understanding of how important community is for us. But even more important is how important is faith community to us. That we gather together with other people that have the same purpose and mission and agenda and cause and experience 
through the person of Jesus Christ and that we need one another. So here's a couple of things that I want you to think about is that an Acts 2 community requires a few things. The first thing that an Acts 2 community requires is a shared experience, that we gather together in fellowship around the same purpose and mission and agenda and that, that we have this deeper fellowship together. One of the things that I've enjoyed about being able to travel around the world is I can be in, in India, I can be in Thailand, I can be in the Philippines, I can be across the street in LaGrange, and that whenever we understand and know that there are two people gathered together that are followers of Jesus, there's this kinship that immediately bonds us because we have something in Christ that deepens our friendship on another level that we could never experience without Jesus. Another requirement of an Acts 2 community is physical presence, is that we literally gain something from being together, physically present together. So when we gather together on Saturdays or Sundays or Wednesdays or whenever we gather together for worship, there's something about being present together. There's something about the power of our voices together, lifting up praises to God through song. There's something powerful that happens when we gather together and we pray for and we acknowledge who God is in our life and we pray for the needs of our brothers and sisters and our community in Christ. Now there's constantly things that that um, that draw us together and this, this opportunity for us to be physically present. Can you remember one time that someone said, hey, I need you to pray for me and you could literally reach out and put your hand on their shoulder and begin praying for them? There's something about physical touch. Even think about the life and ministry of Jesus, that one of the things that Jesus would consistently do when someone had a disease that left them untouchable, Jesus would reach out and touch the leper and let them know that, hey, listen, I love you and I care for you and I want, I want you to know that you are not untouchable. And Jesus would touch them and there would come healing. Healing, I think, in two ways. One, there was physical healing, but then also I believe there's something that's emotional and spiritual that takes place when we reach out and put a hand on someone's shoulder. We literally hold hands with someone and pray with them. There's, there's something spiritual that happens in that moment of physical presence and physical touch. And that's one of the things that we're missing out on, but we're looking forward to in the future. One of the things that we're struggling with as uh, pastors and leaders of church is this, is that current stats tell us that most people are not attending church more than one time a month. So it's hard to experience the physical presence of the faith community if you're not here very often. One of the questions that we're asking as a staff and a leadership team here is, with that statistic, if that's true, then how do we, how can we properly equip the saints to do the work that they're called to do? Because we're not with them. We're not able to have a relationship or to have a deep relationship with those that aren't here. It requires physical presence. One of the things that I hear actually more and more often is that, I, you know, God's told me I don't really need a church home. I don't really need church. I've got, I've got God and that's enough. Well, listen, the first thing about that is this, is that God would never tell you something that's contrary to his scripture. And scripture clearly tells us that we're to be in community together, fleshing out what it means to be followers of Jesus in the church. The second thing is this, is that you need to be in community. You cannot do life alone. All throughout scripture, that word you is not a singular you, it's a plural you, and it's a 
word of you in community. That it's not just you alone, but it's you in community with others. So we need you and you need us. There's something powerful about physical presence. The third thing about an Acts 2 community that it requires is this. It requires dependence. Now, it's an interesting thing because we live in a culture today where we value independence. It's countercultural to understand and to live life in a way that's dependent upon one God, but then two other people. But to be a follower of Jesus means that you have already acknowledged the fact that you are dependent upon someone else. And as a follower of Jesus, you're saying, hey, I am already declaring I'm dependent upon Jesus for my life, for my salvation, and also for my relationship with God the Father through Jesus. But also this thing that as we grow in, in our faith, we understand that we can't live life outside of community, but that we truly need one another. And that the further along we move in life and the further along we move in in our faith journey, we realize that we truly are dependent upon one another and that we lean into each other and we we learn from one another. We're encouraged by one another. We're we're um, sometimes we're we're chastised in a way that kind of moves us. And and that because this idea of iron sharpens iron. And so we are a dependent people, even though in our culture we talk about independence. And those there's some good things about that. But ultimately, as followers of Jesus, we're to do life in community. And to do life in community means we're dependent upon each other and we're dependent upon our relationship with God through Jesus. That's one of the things that, remember, that draws us together, this koinonia fellowship, is that we have a a shared mission, a shared agenda, a shared purpose, and that is Jesus. Again, my question I want to ask you is this, is does your life look like that? Do you look like, does your life look like you've committed to a community of faith, that you've committed to a community where you're doing life on a deep level, that you're sharing your mission, your agenda, and and the challenges that you're having to fulfilling that agenda? I mean, we have wives and husbands and kids and jobs and bosses and lack of finances and all the different things that go on in life that keep us and push us away from fulfilling the agenda and the purpose and the mission of growing closer and of drawing other, being in deep community to see others know Jesus. There's all kinds of things outside of that. But when we do it in a community, it helps us be on task with that agenda, that purpose, and that mission. Do your, does your life look like that you're continuing to grow in the spiritual habits that allows us to grow closer with one another, but ultimately to grow closer in our relationship with God? Are you spending more time in his word? Are you, are you spending more time praying? And, and the variety of different things that you can do that are good, healthy habits for yourself spiritually to continue to grow. And then also, is there an overflowing sense that God is moving in your heart and life? Do you, do you sense that you're growing closer to him? Is there a sense that you, you know him better today than you did yesterday? Because if those are the things that, that look like that's a part of your life, then people are watching and examining and they're saying, I want that. And the big part of that, the reason that those things are happening is because you are doing life in community where it's deep and authentic. And again, you're removing the mask, you're removing the costumes, you're setting aside your pride and you're saying, listen, I'm dependent not only upon God, but I'm dependent upon others who are in pursuit of Jesus just like I am. 
I want that. People are saying that. But listen, again, I don't want you to feel guilty. And I don't want you to think that just because I'm a pastor that I've got it and it's easy for me. Listen, I'm just as distracted. I'm just as busy as you are. We're constantly trying to decide, hey, are we going to have dinner at home? Or are we going to have to go through the drive through Are we going to all the different decisions that you have to make? And as you know, that by five o'clock in the afternoon, whenever dinner time comes, your decisioner, decision maker is already tired and worn out and you don't want to make any more decisions. And so usually the easiest thing happens, which means you're driving through the drive through or calling in an order and picking it up. And so life is incredibly busy. And we're distracted and moving at a crazy pace. I get it. But I want to ask you this and think about it. Does our life look like a distracted mess? Or are we moving in and pushing into doing deeper community together? Listen, over the last few decades, we've been seeing this movement of moving away from doing community. Not just in church and in faith community, but in community altogether. There's a great book called Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. And he's done some research over the last few generations of of how we have moved away from community. And he looks at some basic things that are a part of our life that have actually moved us away from knowing our neighbors and being able to love our neighbors um, in the way that maybe we did in the past. And so the very first thing that he talks about is air conditioning. Is that you know that there used to be a day that there was not air conditioning, but now because most of us have air conditioning, we enjoy spending time inside. And all of us that are in the South are like, hallelujah, I love air conditioning, especially during the summer when it's 115 degrees in the shade. I'm able to go into the air conditioning. But air conditioning has actually moved us inside. And in the old days, people used to sit out on the porch and People would walk by and they would talk and there was these casual relationships and kids would be outside playing and in the cul-de-sac. And so things were happening outside. But now because of this wonderful invention called air conditioning, we come inside and we stay in the comfort of the house. And because of that, we miss out on some uh, beautiful relationships because of that. Also, in the old days, there were these things called attached garage, detached garages, but now all of us have, most of us have attached garages with these remote controls. And so we pull up to the house and we push the button and we go inside of the garage and the garage closes and we walk straight into our house. Where again, we're used to with a detached garage, you'd pull in and you'd have to open it up and pull the car in and get back out and pull the door. And then you'd have to walk through your front yard or whatever to get into the house and your neighbor's probably walking in. So you're Hey, Bob. Hey, Susie. How are you doing? And again, these natural relationships that happen, one, because we're just outside. We had more opportunities to do that. How about you? But when I lived in the big city, we had these things called privacy fences. And they just kept getting, it seemed like they kept getting taller and taller and taller. They went from six foot to eight foot to 10 foot to 12 foot. And I think when we were leaving Denver that some of them looked like they were like 20 feet tall and there were barriers around them and it looked like the wall of Jericho that people were going to have to walk around it seven times for that privacy fence to fall or for the special code to get into the backyard to happen. But but we love our privacy fences. We love to have our little private spot in the backyard that that's our heaven or our haven or kind of our castle that we get to. And But because of that, we don't see the neighbor's Next to us. And so we're again, we're missing out on opportunities to have relationships. How many of you remember the days where there, this cool thing called an answering machine was created? 
And that answering machine all of a sudden allowed you to, to, to decide if you were going to answer the phone or not answer the phone. And, and then all of a sudden we ended up with this thing called caller ID, which was even better. You, you immediately knew before they began talking who it was. And you can make that decision. Mm, no, I'm not going to talk to that person, which then allowed us to begin to decide who's a part of our community, to decide who we're even going to have conversations with. And we begin to, to push people out of our lives that way. And then, Listen, in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this craziness, some of you have already previously mastered this this skill, but some of you are getting really good at it, and the skill called online shopping. And you're in your pajamas, and, and you can order basically anything you possibly want, from groceries to almost a home-cooked, chef-cooked meal brought to your house, and it can be dropped on your doorstep within minutes of you ordering, it seems like. And so all of these things have pushed us away from community. And so here we are in a, in, a, in a busy, chaotic, distracted lifestyle that we live. And, and, because, and with that and then all these other conveniences that we've garnered over the years, it keeps us and it makes our world smaller and smaller and smaller. And then one other interesting thing is in the old days or even not too long ago, we used to join organizations and become a part of an organization. We might have been a part of a bowling, bowling league or Kiwanis or even the, the good old PTA. But fewer and fewer people are even joining these organizations because we're so busy, because we're pulled this way and that way, and we don't want to be a part of anything else And uh, because we just got so many things that we're going back and forth doing, and there's not one more thing that we can add to our schedule. So listen, I get it. We're all crazy, hectic, busy, and the, one of the last things that we possibly want to do is add something to our schedule. I get it. I'm with you. I understand. And so during this time as we're pushing pause, I just want you to just stop and to think, what does my life look like? Does my life look like I'm in a faith community, that I'm growing deeper in relationships with people, that I'm able to, again, to remove the mask and the costumes and lay down my pride and, and to be able to, to be dependent upon other people in different seasons of life where, where I don't have the answers, where I need someone else to, to maybe help give me some wisdom and maybe just give me some courage when I need courage. And, and, and does your life look like that? Do you have friendships like that? Here's what I venture to, venture to guess, and as a matter of fact, I actually know, is that most of us, we don't have those type of friendships. And if we just kind of just take a moment and, and take a real um, look at of, of, our, of our heart and our life and just the busyness of life, we don't have community like that. We don't have friendships like that. We, most of us, we don't have someone we can call at 2 a.m. and say, hey, listen, everything's going to heck in a handbasket, and I don't have the answers I don't have enough money. My wife and I are fighting. My husband and I are fighting. The kids are just going crazy. Um, I, I have more months than I have money. All these different things that are going on that we struggle with. And most of us, if we're truly honest, most of us do not have anyone to do life on that level with. And to know that we can share those truths, we can share those burdens those things that weigh us down with someone, and they don't judge us, they continue to love us, and as a matter of fact, as Acts 2 says, they do what they can to relieve the need in our life. That's what community looks like. That's what we're desiring. That's the thing that we're talking about. That's, that's what makes being a follower of Jesus different from anything else. 
is that as we become dependent upon one another, as we remove the things, the barriers that we keep from other people knowing us, is that that is where true life happens. That's where true life transformation takes place in those vulnerable places so that someone can truly know you at the deep core level of who you are. That they see the mess, they see the muck, they can smell the stench of all the things and they still say, I love you and I care about you. Does your life look like that? As a matter of fact, I was thinking about this and thinking about if we were to to say Acts 2 and, and kind of put it into what Acts 2 much of church today looks like or much of our lives look like today. Um, this is kind of my interpretation of that. Okay, So you can make your own interpretation, but, but here's my current revised Chris standard version of Acts 2. Here's what it says. When I don't have anything else better to do, I'll make it to church. It better be good and not too long because I have stuff planned this afternoon. I sure hope they don't preach on giving, serving, or getting into a life group. That's just more than I can do. I'm too busy. I sure hope I feel good when I leave today and they don't, and that I don't see too many people that I need to talk to. Ouch. As I was writing that out, I was thinking, man, that is so much. So many of the discussions that I have with people and the things that they share and the thoughts that they're in those moments of being honest and vulnerable is like, hey, listen, Pastor Chris, if there's something better to do, then I'm going to do it. And I get it. I get it. We're extremely busy. For many of us, that's what our life looks like. That's our engagement and our encounter with church. If there's not something else better, whatever that is, I'm going to do church. And so in that, when that becomes our attitude, when that becomes a thing, then we miss out on, I believe, one of the most important things of our Christian faith, and that is living life in community. And that when we need to be physically present, we need to be able to be with one another and to do life on a deep level. Christian community is about breaking bread together. That we gather together and we fellowship and we, we, we share a meal and we, as we break the bread, deep life discussions are happening. Think about it this way. In Hebrews chapter 10, there's this wonderful, wonderful verse and it says this, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That when we gather together as a group, one of the things that we're doing is that we're intentionally talking about ways of, hey, how can we make a difference in the community that we live in? How can we make a difference in the lives of our neighbors? How can we make a difference in our school district? How can we make a difference in, and you just fill in the blank, that that's what we do when we gather together as followers of Jesus. That's one of the things that we're asking is, Hey, I'm hearing the things that Jesus is teaching me. How can I take that and apply it to my life so that we can make our community better? Look at the next verse, verse 25. It says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now listen, it's crazy times. It was crazy times before the pandemic. There's going to be craziness after. And again, this passage just reminds us, that we need to be together. And so encourage one another. Invite your friends. Remind them, hey, I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. How are things going? And that I need you. I need to see you. I'm dependent upon you as I grow in my faith. Again, what's our question? Does my life look like this? 
as we're in this craziness of this season, just I pray that this is a time that you've taken to be able to pause and just reflect and to think, man, one of the biggest things that I'm missing out on is community. And, I, and I'm gaining a new understanding and a new perspective of what community is. It's not just saying hi to someone at the grocery store or seeing someone at a game, but it's much more than that. That community is doing life on life in a deep level and that as followers of Jesus, that we have this koinonia fellowship of a shared purpose, a shared mission, a shared agenda of, of loving Jesus and of sharing that love with other people and taking care of our neighbors in a way that, that would move them to want to be a part of what we're doing and they would be able to say, I want what you've got. Does your life look like that? Let's pray together. Dear Holy Father, I thank you so much for all the things that you've been teaching us over these last few weeks. And, and uh, Father, that we would just be honest in this moment, that we would just push pause and just say, hey, as we're missing community, may you just show us what true community looks like. And so as this uh, unique season comes to an end in a few weeks or a few months or, or whatever that timeline is, that, that we be drawn back into community and uh, we not settle for something that's false or something that's light, but that we would jump in and find true community together. May you be brought glory and honor through the way that we live and do life and community together. I want to, as we kind of close out our time together, I want to give you a few final thoughts, and this is some of your next steps. And one of the next steps is just asking you this question. Are you totally dependent upon God? Have you reached a point in your life where you understand that you need others and that you need God. The second step is to ask this question is, are you committed to being a part of a community? Ready to set down the mask, ready to set down the costumes, ready to set down the pride or, or whatever it is that's keeping you from being a part of a community. Are you willing to set those things aside? And hopefully this time of pause has kind of helped you reflect a little bit and saying, listen, I need to recommit and reset to being a part of a deep community together. And then also finally, just, just this idea of, hey, maybe it's just time to dig in and get involved in church. And uh, you've, been a, you've been away, you've been a, doing different things, and you're just frazzled by your schedule. And so I just challenge you, hey, as this season comes to an end, just make that commitment with, with whoever in your family and say, church is going to become a priority. And I want to be able to do life face-to-face and shoulder-to-shoulder with other people.